0: Welcome to the Unlimited Wealth Podcast, where we help entrepreneurs like you build the wealth and lifestyle you deserve. My name is Nicholas Jensen, bringing you the secrets behind the relationships, strategies, and mindset of the most successful people on the planet, showing you how to collapse timeframes in order to win at business, money, and the adventures of life. You don't
1: know what you don't know, so I'm here to show how the wealthy live, think, and make their money grow. It's time to live the life that you deserve. I'm here to help. My
0: my name is Nicholas Jensen, And, and
1: this is Unlimited Wealth.
0: Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Unlimited Wealth Podcast. My name is Nicholas Jensen. Hey, I'm super excited to bring you my guest today. He's a guy that I've known for several years now and a guy that I've actually learned a lot from when it comes to structuring real estate deals that makes it a win-win scenario for both the operator as well as the real estate investor. His name is Andrew Lenoy. He's the co-founder and managing partner of Four Peaks Capital. They're in the affordable housing space. They own and operate 25 manufactured home communities across 13 different states and uh, and their family of companies is quickly becoming one of the top 100 owner operators uh in the United States. So, please help me welcome Andrew Lenoy. Hey Andrew, thanks for joining me today. Hey Nick, so happy to be on. How are you doing? Dude, I'm doing good. It's been a it's been a while. It's been a minute since uh since not only have we seen each other but uh since we've even talked. It's been so- a couple hot COVID minutes. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's right. You're down there in Arizona. I'm in Utah. Before the podcast started, we were talking about COVID a little bit, and it sounds like they may be shutting you guys down again. It feels like they're shutting us down here, but my wife tells me I need.
1: I've got some stinking thinking around <laughs> around
0: what the government's doing.
1: So yeah, yeah, they, they we're we're you know we're almost at Thanksgiving. They uh, started to shut schools down. Uh, so we'd be we'd be, if they shut everything down it'd be a third time here, I think. So it's, that's crazy. It's, it's wild. Yeah. I mean, the cases are up, but you know, I, we were talking about a little bit earlier, but it's, man, I mean, this is going to do a number on everything that we're, you know, it's probably going to be years until this stuff really starts to unfold. I feel like.
0: Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how it, uh, plays out. I, and, and as we talked a little bit before we started, it kind of depends on what political side of the spectrum you fall as to whether maybe you believe in in. Uh, not, I'm not saying that COVID isn't real because I think we can all agree that COVID is real. But how sure. politicized and how exasperated it, it it really is, right? And I think you know, looking at some of the news articles and things like that, they're talking about a vaccine coming out in December, which is probably like record time to ever have a vaccine. It'll be interesting to see the psychological reaction with the public and the economy once that comes out as to maybe those that are just super scared saying, oh, like kind of this relief of, okay, we've got a vaccine, we're safe, like we can now continue to move
1: forward. Do you kind of see that on
0: your end or do you?
1: What do you see? Yeah, I think I think so. With certain parts, you know, I have a lot of really good friends that are in the entertainment business, and so they put on concerts and sports events, and you know, all that stuff has been decimated this year. There's a company called Live Nation, who's the biggest promoter in the world, like global promoter. Uh, They do clubs to arenas and everything in between, and they, I think that I saw they lost ninety six or ninety seven percent of their income this year. Oh wow. But that's that's insane, right? So there's all these venues that are going out of business and so um you know our, our we we both know Ken Macor. I mean Ken Ken's been saying that this this covid's like an accelerator, right? So you've yeah. got restaurants with really thin margins and they just can't you, know, you shut them down at 50% and you know limit them to outside seating and all these things. I mean, we're going to really see a lot of this stuff on the other on the other side. Um, whether it 's next year or the years to come with um a lot of these small businesses getting shut down, I think Yelp said sixty percent of restaurants are done by the end of this year or quarter one or something like that. I mean those are big you know those are big percentages for businesses in the, in the u s yeah when
0: you look at you when you look at the trickle effect of that, so let 's just take a restaurant for example, right? If sixty percent of the restaurants are out of business, now look at all that vacant real estate and now right. look at the investors and owners of that real estate, how they're affected. And assuming you can find a new tenant, you know, whether you repurpose the building or somebody else rolls the dice and, and opens a restaurant, are you going to be able to get the type of rents you were getting, you know, pre-COVID? That's and, right. And the, like the massive <clears throat> trickle effect that I think it's going to have on the economy is I don't even think we've we've started to see what that's going to look like right because we've kind of as an as an economic or as an economy we we've been propped up a little bit kind of coddled by the government saying oh here's a little bit of stimulus to get you by to get you by but they can't do that forever unless we turn into you know some type of socialist society in which we're all just living off the government yeah but from yep. your perspective looking at it from a from an investor standpoint how are you, like some of your investors at, at, that you deal with, do you see them making moves to kind of shore up and, and to protect themselves looking to the uncertainty of the future?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, I think everyone's doing that to some degree. I mean, you've got, you've got... um a good example and it goes back to what you were saying i mean imagine being an office space owner during all of this time and you went from let's say you had a portfolio of office space or office buildings and you went from 80 percent occupied to almost overnight down to five percent right because yeah. very few people are working back in 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 office buildings right now i mean we're, we sent our our team home whatever it was seven months ago or eight months ago back in probably mid-march And then you've got all of the businesses that potentially support those office buildings, whether they're restaurants, which is probably the main thing. So, I mean, those are all kind of being taken out right now and really, really wiped out. So you're looking at things like, well, first of all, there's all kinds of new problems that we didn't have eight or nine months ago. So there's people working on solving those problems. And so companies are being created out of these new problems now, which happens in any downturn. I think the subprime crash, it was... Uber and, and Airbnb and a couple other companies that were born from those that that yeah. time right. Um, so there's all kind of all kinds of companies that are being created right now. But I think um, as you look at what has been stable through this, I think housing in general. There are certainly some except, exceptions have been uh, somewhat stable. We're we're in the affordable housing space and our, and our collections have been really good through this versus retail versus uh certainly you know restaurants in that side and office space and 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 other commercial so i think um i think what's interesting is you kind of look for the trends like what has done well through a, a normal or extreme recession or whatever we're in now whether it's a pandemic or a black swan whatever that is there are certain things that have thrived like if you're a grocery store owner your business was probably way up this year right so food I would imagine energy, you know, in general, like that's probably been up. People are home more, more computers, more all of that stuff. I know that uh, anyone I know who's who's at home, they've probably been spending more money in their home, whether it's the DIY stores like the Lows and the Home Depot. So, so certain businesses have flourished, and others have been completely completely wiped out. And whether or not that model changes, right? Do restaurants completely have, go through a change and it's only takeout and smaller footprints. And there's already people kind of playing around with that model. Um, And you know, what, what are some other industries that have been just knocked, knocked on their butt, but they may pivot into something else or all the real estate that's now being taken back by banks. and, And that's going to be repurposed into something uh, and kind of have this, this, this major reset. So it's going to be really interesting, you know, over the next six, 12, 18 months and how, how this shakes out. And I think back to your vaccine question, I think when, when there's a vaccine out and the first rounds go out, I I think that's going to build some confidence whether or not it's too early. Uh, cause I, I, I think you're right. I think there, there's certainly, there's a, there's a lot of people rushing through this to get this out, but, um, you know, you got to ask yourself, do you cripple an entire economy over this many deaths? Like, where's the, you know, where's the line in all of this? That's the, that's the part that's really hard to, hard to understand. I think it hits locally when someone's like, oh my goodness, this, my favorite restaurant closed, right? They're done. They're, they're not coming back. So it's, it's, it's wild times. I mean, I don't, I, I've never been through a year like, like this. Yeah, this is this is definitely
0: crazy. And one of the things that are, that's interesting to me, going back to businesses and and new businesses coming out of this. The other thing that's interesting is the current businesses that have been able to adapt quickly. So you talk about businesses that have flourished with this. If there was ever a business set up for a pandemic like this, it's Amazon. Like they have to absolutely be killing it. Sure. But on on a bigger retail scale and even locally. Some businesses that I've seen that have really stepped up are, are like the Home Depots and the Sam's Clubs. So here's, a, here's an interesting perspective. Sam's Club versus Costco. So in, in where I live, Costco has completely crashed and burned when it comes to ordering online and showing up to pick up your order. Whereas Sam's Club has absolutely knocked it out of the park interesting. Okay. We can just jump on the app. We never shopped at Sam's club ever at all. We were die hard Costco people. And then this whole thing hit and I'm an anti-mask guy. So like I would rather punch somebody in the throat than put a mask on. And right, so right. like I kind of am just hold up, right? Because I don't want to I, I say I don't want to make people mad, but really I don't care. I just don't want to wear a mask. So I don't, I'm not willing to really go anywhere that's forcing me to wear a mask. And Costco was yeah. one of those places. So we kind of stopped going there and started shopping online with Sam's Club. And dude, it is, if there's anything that's gone great out of this pandemic, it's retail stores being able to adapt like that where you can jump online or jump on the app, place your order you show up, you text them. They bring it to you. You leave. Like, yeah, that yeah. type of technology advancement and and being able to pivot is is awesome. And what's going to yeah. be interesting is seeing how that takes place in the investing world as well.
1: Right, right, right. And even even further to that, you know, you've got like a platform like Zoom that we're using today. So they were kind of right place, right time, right technology. Um, I'm sure you know. Their business was absolutely through the roof. And um, I I use Amazon a lot through um, Whole Foods, right? So I get groceries delivered because I didn't want to deal with the grocery stores. So that platform was already in place. Amazon already acquired Whole Foods. But, you know, you put an order in at 10 o'clock in the morning at 2.30 p.m., your your food's at your door, right? And so literally, and it's Amazon, so it's easy. So, yeah, to your point, I mean, this is some of those companies were just absolutely positioned so perfectly through this.
0: Yeah. And some of them just haven't caught up. Like another example is target target compared to some of the online curbside pickup stuff. You know, target hasn't, hasn't done a, a great job as well, but you know, going back to the, uh, to the investor piece. Right. And as a successful business owner looking like, Hey, where do I, how do I one protect and position my business to, to, to thrive and to grow, but two, also look for opportunities to try to get my money to work for me in other areas. You and I are obviously huge fans of real estate, right? Like you have a huge company that deals in affordable housing. You know, we invest in real estate, have a property management company. But what what are kind of your thoughts on going forward of some areas that these business owners may want to start to look at as potential opportunities? to place money to not only protect capital but also to you know see some some growth and some cash flow from their from their investing
1: yeah i think i think some of it goes back to what we what we started to talk about earlier and it's looking at what the trends are and what what historically has done well and what we're we're both really not wall street guys right i'm i'm right. pretty anti wall street i had all my money tied up in there Fifteen years ago, you know, and you 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 wake up in the morning and the market's down, and you're just you're stressed about that kind of stuff. So I've been pretty anti anti Wall Street for a while. Um, I think really all the all the opportunities in private placement, and specifically housing, and even more specific, to housing is affordable housing because the demand. You know, we hear we hear the we hear this term that the middle class is getting smaller, right? Yeah. And I think it's I think it's because the, the lower end, the lower classes is, is becoming uh, much larger. And it's not because more people are getting wealthy and certainly people through this time are becoming more wealthy, but I think that's, I, I don't think that's the norm. I think it's the opposite. So you've got, I know where where you are in Salt Lake, where I am here in Phoenix, if you've got a house, that's $350,000, anything that's below a sub a jumbo loan, You've got ten or fifteen offers on it. Rates are at an all-time low right now. The market's really strong. You've got all these all these cr- crazy things happening at one time. Uh, inventory is very 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 low, so you've got a lot of people moving. The moving companies are are knocking it out of the park if they can figure out how to support that you know that um, that new business coming in. Um, and someone who's got a $350,000 house, they're going to they're gonna sell above you know, list, listing price and they're going to close relatively fast and they're going to have a lot of offers to choose from. Um, at some point, so back to you know, Ken McElroy has been saying that there's about three or four million single family mortgages that are 90 days delinquent right now. So that means there's a large percentage of those that are going to go back to the bank and those are going to those are going to hit the market at some point probably next year probably over a course of time and there may be a correction at, at at some point next year because all of a sudden there's this glut of inventory and this is just residential this isn't the office spaces this isn't the commercial the stuff that's being repurposed you know imagine imagine the courts and the banks that were probably not that quick to begin with and all of all of a sudden there's millions of assets that are in default or they're working through all of these issues, right? There's going to be this massive um, amount of inventory that hits. Uh, but really, I think back to your question about what to look at and kind of what trends to fall. I mean, I, I think we, we've been so bullish on affordable housing because I don't see that ever going away. And even if, you know, this is kind of on the other side, but if you have a, you know, un- universal income at some point uh, that kind of levels the playing field for a certain socioeconomic class, that still doesn't take away the need for affordable housing. You know, I I, I tell the story all the time. It's like my, my dad's father, my grandfather, lower middle class, he was a plumber, one salary, owned a house, put the kids through school, three kids, owned a car, you know, the whole thing, one salary. So now it's not uncommon where mom and dad each have two jobs and they're literally living paycheck to paycheck. So we know that the cost of living has gone through the roof and salaries just haven't, um, kept up with that. So who, I don't, I don't know the solution, but, I, but I feel like in the affordable housing sector, there's always going to be a demand for that. And it kind of goes back to it's, it's, it's real estate one-on-one supply and demand, right? So if you've, if you've got this sector that's always in demand and not going away, Um, you know, and there's always micro, you know, areas where, hey, you've got rent control there and it affects landlords in this way. I mean, there's always going to be that kind of, those kinds of challenges. But um, I think that's why we, that's why we like, that's why we like housing, right? That's why, that's why you and I both like real estate. Yeah. And when you look at the,
0: uh, the affordable housing piece, like take Utah, for example. So you talked about inventory being really low. Like last year, inventory was low at this time. And there was like throughout the state, there was like 9,000 homes for sale. Right now, there's 4,000 homes for sale. And like you said, there's multiple offers on every house. The median house price right now is 370,000 bucks. So if you look at a young married couple or a younger couple, dude, no the chance of them getting in that kind of house, like aren't very, it's not very likely. And the other thing that you have here, and I know this isn't the same everywhere, but here in Utah, you're, you're land constrained. So you've got the great salt Lake on one side, you've got the Wasatch mountains on the other and this kind of this narrow strip of land in between. So you're kind of running out of space. And so one, you, you've got to find more space or build smaller houses in order to, you know to fit what you need from a housing perspective or you've got to build up. But the other thing that I, that I'm seeing and it'd be interesting to get your perspective on this from an affordable housing uh, standpoint, are you seeing pushback from, from cities and uh, county governments to, to come build new affordable housing? Are you seeing that type of pushback, even though we need it? Like we're get, are you seeing pushback from the other side, from the, from the government side in, and putting it in
1: uh, always. And I, you know, it's, it's the NIMBY, it's the NIMBY effect, right? Not in my backyard. So it's always been the case, whether, whether it's difficult to rezone something or whether it's, yeah, we need affordable housing, but we don't want it in our city. Um, I read something about some legislation legislation that was, that was proposed that would incentivize cities to um, bring in more affordable housing, and I actually just saw something from a big broker, uh, or a lender rather that said on the affordable housing side that they're for Fannie and Freddie to lend on this space and maybe 2021 that they're, that they're increasing their, they're, they're, they're making it, they're making it harder for operators and people to get good financing. This is just Fannie and Freddie on, um, on affordable housing. So, you're, you're kind of, you know, it's, it, it doesn't really make sense because the demand is there. You can go to, you can go to HUD, you can hear Ben Carson talk about, it. I mean, the data is there that there's a huge demand, but um, there's just, there's just really not enough incentives. And you certainly can't make it harder for operators to buy and operate and, and build. I mean, you're, you're on the development side as well. I mean, it, none of, none of that is easy, right? They really just don't make it, they don't make it easy. What do you think the
0: solution to that is? Is it could you put, uh, I mean, could you get a pool of investors together that could, that would be willing to fund on that type of stuff in which they would, you know, they could be profitable? Like, is is that, do you think the private sector is a solution for that type of, or for funding for affordable housing? Or do you think it's, the government's making it so difficult because the risk is so high from their perspective of, hey, these people default or or, you know, it's hard to get our money back or the assets don't stay as, as valuable, which I think depending on what side of the argument you're on there, I don't know that that's really an argument on their end, but why do so one, do you see that there's an opportunity for private lending to come in and, and uh, be profitable there? And then two, do you think the reason the government's making it harder is because they see it as a higher risk?
1: Well, the the first thing, I think there's always an opportunity in the private sector. It just depends on, I mean, we know that commercial lending, Fannie, Freddie, CMBS, any of that versus private lending generally is cheaper, right? Just the rates are cheaper. So that's one hurdle. And if that, if there's a way to overcome that um, and private lending was not bridge lending or wasn't this mid-tier lending, maybe, maybe that that's a good solution um, I honestly don't know why municipalities aren't embracing more in infor- affordable housing. I mean, I think a lot of them, and, it, 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 and it's, it's so different depending on where, where you look, but you know, a lot of them are beating, you know, beating the, we, we need, we need more housing drum, but, but again, they make, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's just all of the the bells and whistles that you have to jump through. That's difficult to get that stuff overturned because it's been in place for so many years. So I, I don't really know the answer to the, to your Uh, second question, but I do think there's always an opportunity in the private sector. That's really where most jobs are created too, right? I mean, it's entrepreneurs that create jobs. It's not the, it's not the government. So I think the same thing goes for housing, whether you're repurposing a, you know, 260 unit apartment building, uh, and making that a better place for, you know, for, for, for affordable housing or lower income folks or whatever it is.
0: Yeah. From a, an affordable housing, like there's different aspects of affordable housing, right? So from an investor standpoint, do you see one niche being more attractive than another from a return on investment standpoint, like in the next, let's say five to 10 years?
1: well i don't I don't know. I mean, I think anything that's been residential in affordable housing during this time, I think in general has held up pretty well just as far as collections. We were talking about this earlier I mean certain parts of um the business as an operator have been really frozen, whether it's raising private equity or using commercial lending. A lot of that's been frozen for months and months and starting to get better. Um, what's so interesting is uh so I just pulled up this this note so this is a big lender. Uh, and this is uh 2021 multifamily caps for Fannie and Freddie. And it says to be considered affordable housing, manufactured housing communities must be resident slash government slash nonprofit owned or must have tenant pad lease protection to be counted as mission driven affordable housing. So this is just the, this is just the, the manufactured housing space where we, we really live in, but it's another, you know, it's another hurdle that they're putting up, uh, in order to get good financing. So back to your point, if there is a private sector way to create lending that's affordable that makes sense, you know a lot, a lot of the times when so many people are moving right now because interest rates are low, it's not because the, the cost of real estate's high. So you have to look at all those things in the capital stack to say, you know it, it, am I okay paying an extra 15%? on the house that I'm buying, because I'm getting a rate at 2.9%, which is unheard of, right? We were going to look back in 20 years and say, remember when rates were, interest rates were at 3%. So you have to look at all those, all of those things, I think, to get a, to really get a good uh, idea of the picture. Yeah, that,
0: that, uh, that totally makes sense. Cool, man. Tell us a little bit. Let's pivot a little bit. I know that you've got a, a pretty cool podcast out there called The Impatient Investor. Tell us a little bit about it
1: yeah I started it earlier uh this year I think it was back in may or may or june and you know respect to what we were talking about i'm I'm really an a- anti wall street guy i love i love private placements i love private equity that whole that whole part of the business um so it's really about um just dissecting different you know what's it like to invest in a REIT kind of the pros and the cons and really getting into into a lot of that so it's i tried to make this as tactical as possible in about a five to 10 minute segment. So it's, um, it's kind of short and sweet and to the point. And, uh, the, the, the URL it's the, it's the impatient com, and you can find it on any of the major podcast platforms. And we've been getting some pretty good traction so far. So it's been, uh, it's been great and it's been a lot of work and really just fun to see it grow. A lot of work. I, I hear you there, man. Yeah. Like like most things, like like most things, right?
0: Yeah. But it's like I remember uh our mutual friend uh, Russ Gray telling telling me one time, he's like, Hey, if you if you get on the podcast, if you start a podcast, just understand this is this is a treadmill that never stops. It's right. constantly moving and you gotta constantly be be producing stuff. So yeah, it's, it's not totally four, fun. It's not, but
1: not a four month not a four month window, right?
0: Yeah, for sure. Just out of curiosity, why how did you name it the impatient investor? like I think it's a an awesome name, but I'm just curious if there's a story behind that.
1: It really isn't I think um it just we're we're looking at different ideas to name the podcast and I think a lot of us are wired that way we you know we're 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 looking at so many different opportunities and we we've got money sitting in the bank that we know that is just eroding from inflation, right? We know if inflation's at two or three percent, which by the way, doesn't include food or energy. You got a hundred grand sitting in the bank, and you know, let's say inflation is really five or six or seven percent. You're literally losing five or six or seven thousand dollars a year with money sitting in the bank. So I feel like we're we're always looking for an opportunity and we're looking for places to put our money in safe, uh safe assets that are that are away from Wall Street. I mean the market's been strong this year, like that's all going to change, just like, you know, the market giveth and the market taketh. And that's, you know, that's just another part of the, the COVID the COVID-19 uh year is just all of these things are really fascinating to see. But you know, there will be another market correction. And the people who have seen have seen and realized all those gains, like they're gonna they're gonna wake up one day and they're gonna get they're gonna get hit. And that's just what happens in the market.
0: Yeah, that and you bring up an interesting point. That's kind of a drum that I beat a lot. Is people don't understand that there's a crap ton of money made in Wall Street, but that money is made by people that create the Wall Street products. It's not made by the people that are investing in those products, and that's what the the public doesn't really understand. And and it's a lot of it is because the media controls the dialogue, right? If yeah. if I'm in Wall Street and I put a fund together and I want people to, to invest in that fund, well, then I just start marketing that and and start buying advertisements on news media and CNBC and MSNBC and and all of these, you know, money magazines and things like that. Well, of course, that's the dialogue that they're going to produce to the public because I'm paying, you know, their, them for advertisement. So as a society, we've just kind of been conditioned that like, oh yeah, like you, you put your, your money in wall street and that's just the way it is. And it ebbs and flows. And, but I don't think that people really understand one, the risk that they're taking. And then two, that there's other opportunities, like what you talked about private placements. If somebody wants to be in affordable housing and they want to work with a, uh, an operator like yourself, they can actually just invest with you directly. And, now be exposed to affordable housing where and not have the risk of the market it's so interesting to me that the vast majority of the public doesn't understand that they don't even understand they have that opportunity
1: well and it goes back to your you know everyone's busy especially if you're a business owner you're you're not looking for another job most of the time and and there's always those who want to roll up their sleeves and go buy a house or something like that, which is great. Cause you're going to learn a lot, but there's also people that don't, they're not looking for more work. They're not looking for another job. Um, and that's really hard when you're really busy to, to get educated on it. But you know, you, you and I have been big, big proponents of, of financial and real estate education for years. And that's, that's really how you learn. So um, I think that, for someone really looking just, they just need to spend time and research different, different sectors, whether it's a, whether it's housing or energy or, or food or whatever it is and find something they can kind of resonate with. Um, But what's, what's done well through all of, all of these times and whether it's subprime crash or through COVID and like in general housing has been pretty resilient uh, and there's, there's always exceptions of course, but in general I think people are always going to always going to need good, safe, clean, affordable housing.
0: And I I agree with you one one hundred percent, and not only from the other thing that kind of perpetuates that, in my opinion, is the emotional attachment and this. I want to say emotional need, but that's not that's not really true. It's this sense of security, knowing that I have somewhere to go in the evenings, that's safe, that my kids are protected. We can shut the doors. It, it's it's our safe haven, if you will, and everybody should be able to to have that opportunity, right? So as you talked about, I I'm a firm believer in the in the affordable housing sector, safe, clean housing, the the vast majority of people can can take advantage of. So
1: what what's been interesting too is we see we're seeing all kinds of shifts happening right now. Like this, this mass exodus from New York city and a lot of places in California, whether it's a businesses moving out, which they've been doing for years because California is lousy to run a business yeah. out of. But you know, we, 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 we mentioned this earlier, Pinterest paid $80 million to get out of their lease in the Bay area. That's, that's a staggering number to, to not do something right. They paid $80 million yeah. to not do something, not stay in their lease. So, we've been in secondary markets for, for years. And, and I could have had an argument five or 10 years ago to say, well, I see maybe more uh, people clustering around bigger markets, like maybe a Dallas or maybe a Salt Lake or maybe a Phoenix or these areas that have been growing for, for years. But now there's people that are downsizing because, or they're just trying to, you know, if you're, you're, you're in the Bay area and you work at Google and you make $250,000 a year as an engineer, and you'd no longer have to go to the office indefinitely. Are you going to stay in your forty eight hundred dollar a month apartment with no restaurants open and the city kind of falling apart and the homelessness getting worse, you know, and and and? Or do you want to move to Salt Lake and buy a five hundred thousand dollar home with five bedrooms and you know, or whatever market? Right. So this is happening across the board, and it's def- it's causing downward pressure on the rental market which in our world is a good thing. And that's just a supply and demand. We're we're getting more, our applications doubled in over COVID the same time compared to same time last year, like just some really interesting things that are, that are happening that all point to housing in my opinion.
0: That's a, that's an interesting concept. And I've talked to a couple of people that have expatriated from California. Like they're up in like the hills of Montana and out in the Midwest, like they're going complete opposite from what they're used to, yeah. but it's for the very same reasons that you've talked about is, Hey, yeah. like I don't have to go back to the office and, and I may never have to go back. Like I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to get away for, for a little while. So
1: Ma- mom and dad and four kids, you'd give your left arm for another bedroom or, or another office, right? You a little more yeah. space right now. I mean, everyone's, everyone's on top of each other. You'd give yeah. your arm for a little bit more space. For sure. Well, this has been
0: a this has been an awesome uh, conversation, there, Andrew. People want to connect with you if they want to, you know, get a hold of you if they want to follow what you're doing. What's the best way for them to do that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So our our website at the company is fourpeakspartners.com. Podcast is the and then I also created a a report um, that really talks about everything we've been discussing on today's podcast. That's uh, and if they go to stoptradinghours.com, they can download the free report there.
0: Perfect. As always, it's it's a pleasure to to talk with you. I love having interesting conversations with smart people like yourself. So I appreciate your time and and thanks so much for coming on. And and uh, listeners, if you want to connect with Andrew, jump on his website, listen, download his podcast. Uh, he's a great resource when it comes to Affordable housing, when it comes to real estate investing, um, and all the things that that entail economic trends and and being able to
1: place your your capital effectively. So I really appreciate you coming on, Andrew. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate everything you do too. keep the uh, keep the keep the message alive and and going. It's definitely really really good work you're doing. Awesome, man. Listeners, thanks again for joining us. We appreciate
0: your time, and as always. Go out and build the wealth and the lifestyle that you deserve. Have a great week. See ya. Hey, real quick. Are you a six or seven figure entrepreneur who is making great money, but like so many other unwealthy successes, you're not seeing your wealth grow? If so, I can help. Head over to nicholascjensen.com forward slash wealth and take my free wealth building assessment now. Learn how to become a strategic investor and start building the wealth you and your family deserve. Again, that's Nicholas, the letter C, Jensen.com forward slash wealth. We'll see you next time on
1: Unlimited Wealth. wealth.